Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Two, three, clap. Can you please just leave your hands there so I can see that you're there? Yeah. And like talk when you're going to talk. <laughs> Hi, Mel, the Muppet. Hello, Anita, the Grinch. Am I a Grinch? Kind of. Are you a Grinch? No, I had a really great 4th of July caving in my basement. Um, Tell me about your puppy first. Jaysandra, yes. a.k.a. Jersey Marie Shore, is now yes. here. Is she, How old is she? She's eight weeks. Okay. That's two months old. Thank you, you for the math. Count. That was <laughs> that was that was very kind of you. Yeah, my friend Val and I stayed in this hotel that um, it was advertised that it was dog friendly, but really I think it was kind of a drug hub. It was very scary, <laughs> for real. Like all night long, there were people going in and out, and we were kind of worried that we would get broken into. And it was very curious. Did you get any drugs? No. <laughs> No drugs. Sorry. I'll get that on my next run because I yeah. know that that's what you're asking for. Drugs. Yeah. I love drugs. They're my favorite. I, I don't even have any skills with them. Um, okay. So you hid in your cave for the 4th of July and didn't do anything except for you snuggled your new puppy, right? Well, I did things. I oh. watched all of the new Unsolved Mysteries. It was really great. I like to put that do in quotation marks then. I did things. <laughs> I laid around and watched TV. Yeah. 
That's cool. I also watched Waco, which is very sad. Oh. And my dad made some hamburgers. <laughs> so I emerged from the cave. And then I worked on some projects, some music projects that I have deadlines for. Had to do. But what about you? It was you get out a, and actually do things. I know. It was such a weird day because the 4th of July, which, you know, it's the 4th of July here in the United States. It was Canada Day a couple days ago. Um, the 4th of July is traditionally a holiday that my family has the most traditions surrounding. So it's always been a holiday that I look forward to. And since the coronavirus is here, all those things were canceled so it was, like, weird because we weren't doing the things that we normally do, and it was kind of sad. Like, it almost felt like it was an extension of um, having a holiday where you're grieving. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, where it feels weird and a little off. It just felt like an extension of that because it was, like, I felt weird and off because Jason should be there, but then I felt weird and off even more because we weren't doing the things that we normally do. There were no parades. Um, we, I usually run a 5K in the morning, so none of those things happened. They didn't have the fireworks displays and things like that. So Wait a second. Wait a second. Fireworks displays? Because there were tons of fireworks in our neighborhood. Yeah, but they late. didn't have the... I know. It was crazy. They didn't have the like official... The cities doing them, you know, like the big, big shows. None of those were going on. It was just like people bought, oh my gosh, so many fireworks. I cannot imagine the amount of money spent in my neighborhood alone on fireworks. We just like had to walk outside and there was millions. But you know what I'm saying? Not like the big ones that you gather for and... Guess guess what? what? Maybe you know this. Maybe you don't. Oh, what? So the... So there, my parents told me that there was going to be like some flyover jet sorts of things. Yeah. And then I guess somebody shut it down like it, because of a legality or they didn't want people to look up and get in car accidents and then get sued. I don't know. <laughs> but so my parents had these great plans to go with their across the street neighbors, ride down on their truck down to our other neighbors, kind of, that live on Main Street, uh-huh. where usually the parade goes. Right. Um, and... So they did it anyway, and they sat out there, and they said even though that it was formally canceled, people still kind of drove by and, like, threw candy at them. Oh, really? Some jets flew over. Yeah. I did hear the jets flying over, but I didn't know what was going on. So it just was a weird day. It just felt really weird in general. But I still had fun. We went up to the mountains with my family, and um i ran it we made our own race in the morning and ran up the mountains i made my friends run up to flag rock which is a a place up in the mountains where somebody has put a flag and it's like you climb like 1800 feet in something like two miles so it's it's pretty steep but we had fun did you win uh it wasn't really that kind of a race because it um, was like, it's always that kind of a race. I, I know. Yeah. I'm like that. Come but on. I also wanted to make sure that the friends who were with me didn't get lost. And so I, I stopped every so often to make sure people turned in the right spot. Because I'm benevolent like that. Aw, you're so kind. Yeah. Yeah. I am so kind. Except for my kids don't think I am. But that's okay. Hey, can we talk a little bit about our Widow Wives Club and answering some questions. Yeah. Because we have several people that have wanted to get in the group, but they don't answer any of the questions. And so their their requests are kind of just sitting there until they answer the questions. Yes. So there are questions if you want to get into the Widow Wives Club. 
And if you don't answer those, we're not going to approve you. And then you're just going to be in limbo. So make sure you answer the three questions. It's not like they're super hard, but, you know, you do have to answer them. And one of them is kind of hard, actually. And the while the Facebook page itself is open to everybody, um, widows, widowers, grief civilians, people who are just interested, the Widow Wives Club is only for widow and widowers, so it can be a safe place to ask questions or to vent about things that only only we can quote-unquote understand. So we've had a few people try to join the Widow Wives Club who are not actually widows, and we love you, and we're so glad that you're with us and following along with us, but the club is exclusively for those with dead spouses. No offense. No offense. I mean, I don't think you would want to be there anyway. Yeah, you don't. Anita. Yes. There's another thing I want to address that I'm really hoping our listeners can help us out with. And I know that we've talked about this before. It's about the rating and reviewing our podcast. Right. Um, Specifically on iTunes would be the the best because that's where um, a lot of our our lessons come from. Um, But if you're on Spotify or Stitcher or iHeartRadio and you have the ability to review and rate, please do it. The reason why is it's not because we are like, oh, let's feed our ego so we can have all these reviews. It's because our main goal for doing this podcast is helping other people. We we don't get paid for doing it. We spend money doing it, and we it's it's a lot of work. But I know that we've had several announcements, and we haven't really noticed more than like one or two reviews, or or five star or any stars reviewing. Um, but it does help us to be able to reach those that have gone through the similar things such as us or we just want to help other people to have awareness and empathy and so the more people we can reach the better it's not for our ego i know that a lot of us are tired and the last thing that we want to do is like go review something but if you guys would consider doing that that would really help us a lot and it would help us reach more people and help us to get a bigger community just so that we can have people find each other so that they know that they're not alone yeah and it just it just helps to make the podcast more visible so when people are searching it comes up um, quicker and and people trust it more when there's more reviews so it's not it's not like a silly thing reason that we're asking you know for clarinet playing it's that we're we're trying to reach as many people as we can and help as many people as we can so if you wouldn't mind please 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 rate us and review us just for that purpose Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. If you want to help someone else, please do it. And thank you for listening to our TED Talk. 
Okay, guys, stay tuned because up next we have a fellow widow that has been widowed for quite a while and has a really interesting story and has some different experiences that we haven't touched yet on the podcast. Until today. Until today. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And we're two young widows trying to figure out widow we We do do now. Hey, Mel. What? I'm wondering how your counseling is going with BetterHelp. How is it going? Going really well. I love my therapist. We're working on things to help me through grief things, past things, current things. Really helpful. I'm really glad that I am a part of it. And it's been really awesome to have her available on video. Yeah, it seems super convenient. Yeah, and she messages me during the week and checks on how I'm doing, and it's awesome. That's awesome. Do you think that our listeners might benefit from doing it too if they have some therapy needs? I do. I think that it would be beneficial for anybody, even if they are not widows, but especially widows, and especially during this time of quarantine slash pandemic slash riots slash everybody hates each other. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it's a really beneficial thing, and it's a great price, too, when compared to traditional therapy. That's awesome. Okay, so if people want to take advantage of the 10% off the first month, they go to trybetterhelp.com, and that's help as in H-E-L-P. Like the Beatles song. Yeah, slash W-W-D-N. So trybetterhelp.com slash W-W-D-N. Just remember, the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. It's more affordable than offline traditional counseling and financial aid is available. So for those of you who may be in bad situations because your husband died or just because you're a human living on the planet and that's a tough thing, BetterHelp can help you with financial solutions so that you can get the therapy that you need. And just a reminder as well, this is not a crisis line or self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And once you sign up, you will be matched with a counselor within 24 hours. And again, that is trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Happy widowing! Who is our guest today, Mel? Well, our guest today is my BFF from Facebook that I've never met in person, but we are both from the musician community in Salt Lake City, and her name is Ashley Garby-Smith. So welcome, Ashley. Oh, thank you so much. It's so fun to finally meet you. No, I like Again, we, we were talking about it before, but I seriously feel like I've known you for over a decade, but we've never met in real life. It's It's super weird. I know. And I feel like I know a little bit of your story, but I'm really excited to learn more about your story and for you to share with our listeners what your life has been like, because you are way further ahead in this journey than Anita and I are. And we can't even comprehend being that far. At least I can't. But I don't even know because I don't know how far out you are. I know nothing about you. So go ahead, Ashley. Tell us about you. Tell us about your journey. Okay. So um, we'll start... When I was, so I was in a band when I was 19 years old and I met this beautiful blue haired boy. His name was Wyatt Rogers. And, um, we, we were both playing a gig. He was playing with his band and I was playing with mine. And for me, it was love at first sight. I mean, just blue hair rocker guy with a guitar who could sing. It was, it was amazing. And 
So anyway, I went up and I met them afterwards. We ended up uh, combining our bands and we joined the band together. And we, we dated um, for about two years and then we got married. So I was 20, I was pretty young. And so I was 20, we moved out to South Carolina and we lived out there. And the reason we moved out there is because he wanted to become a helicopter pilot. So I continued with my music career and I had a day job. Um, I worked for a collection agency as my day job. And then I would play in bars at night. Well, and actually at the time, I mean, I didn't play in bars until I was about 21. So I'd play in coffee shops and places like that in South Carolina. And he was getting his helicopter license. Well, he ended up getting his helicopter license and becoming a helicopter instructor. And we had been married for about a year and nine months. He got a call from a student of his. And the student said, I need a helicopter tonight as soon as possible because my wife's grandma is dying. And so my husband, it was, again, it was Saturday night. We were at this concert. It was like super late at night. And he's like, hey, could we just wait until tomorrow morning? And his um, student said, no, we need to go right now. So I took my husband to the hangar, which where the helicopter was. He got permission to take the helicopter. I took my husband to the hangar and, and it was just this weird kind of looming feeling. He didn't feel good about it. He said that the weather wasn't great and he was, he just didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel good about it. I drop him off at 3 a.m. at the hangar. And as he was, we, we kind of gotten a little argument like while we were in the car just because he was talking about how my car was so dirty and I needed to clean it out and and it was just one of those things where there was a little bit of tension there um and so he got out of the car and as he got out I rolled down the window and I said hey I love you and he kind of turned around and looked at me weird and he's like okay I love you too yeah and he turned around and walked away. As I was driving home, I just felt this weird, overwhelming feeling that it was the last time that I was going to see him. And I, I thought this is a really morbid thought. And I almost got emotional that I would even think something like that. And so I, I, I got really emotional that I would even have those thoughts. And um, we had kind of just gotten in this argument. And so I blew it off. I went to bed and at about uh it was in between seven or eight in the morning. It was a Sunday morning and I get this pounding knock on my door and I go and answer my door and it's this female police officer. And she said, do you know why it's Zane Rogers? And I said, yeah, he's my husband. And she hands me a yellow post-it note. And she said, I have a number to a sheriff in Georgia and I need you to call this number. And I was like, is, is everything okay? And she just said, I just need you. I just need you to call this number. So I, I have this yellow post-it note and I pick up my phone and I'm thinking, okay, a sheriff in Georgia, maybe he broke some helicopter law and <laughs> then he's sitting in jail. Like I just wouldn't let my mind go there. And so I, I dial this number, the, and, and I'm by myself, I'm in my townhouse in South Carolina and I call this number and there's a man on the other line and he tells me that he's a sheriff in Barnesville, Georgia, and that there was a helicopter accident and that there were no survivors. 
And that was essentially the beginning of my journey. And I know that you two have gone through this. I, I don't remember what my reaction was. I do. I remember falling to the ground. I remember him telling me that, um, that two of the people who were in the helicopter, they couldn't identify. So they were asking me if I knew who the two people were so that they could contact their families. And I had to really search my mind to remember the names of these two people that were with my husband so that they could, you know, they could contact their families. And so I was living in South Carolina. Like I said, my, the rest of my family was in Utah. My husband Wyatt's family was all in Utah. Um, and that, that is essentially the beginning of my journey. Did the police officer who knocked on your door, did she just hand you the post-it note and then like, bye, <laughs> she didn't stick around? Yeah. So that's the weird part. So then um, oh it was really weird. It was bizarre. so weird, super bizarre. And I, and now I have so much compassion for her now as I look back. But so what happened is the, the sheriff on the other line, he said, are you there alone? And I said, yes, I'm here alone. And he said, there's supposed to be somebody there with you. And I said, there's not, I'm here alone. And he said, just stay there. I'm going to send somebody to be there, there with you. So he was really bothered that there was nobody there with me. So the next thing I know, like five minutes later, I get a knock and it's the same female police officer. And she said, um, I'm supposed to stay here with you. Someone else gets it was so awkward. awkward. I said, it was so awkward. I said, it's okay. I've, I called some people. So it was Sunday and I'm a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I was getting ready for church and I ended up, I ended up calling my Bishop who was also a helicopter pilot. And he had already known, he already heard because he was a helicopter pilot and he was a commissioner. He had gotten the call before I did. And so he already knew and he had contacted um, my Relief Society president, which is like a, a woman that's the head of the women's organization in the church. And so she was heading over because the only people I really knew were people that I worked with and people that I went to church with. And then my whole family and his whole family was in Utah. And so I had to sit there with this female police officer in silence for like 20 minutes and this is a lady who already abandoned you once and then to, had to come back with her tail between her legs like, oh, I shouldn't have left you. Sorry. Yes. And she's standing there in the corner of my living room. And, and I decide, okay, I have to start calling people. Like, I, need, I guess I need to start letting people know. And so I just start making phone calls. And so the first person I call is my mom. And I was in South Carolina, and we're two hours ahead. So I call her, and she's in bed. It was like 6 a.m in Utah at the time. And my stepdad, who I didn't really know, he had just married my mom a year before, but he answered the phone. And I said, Hey, um, there was a helicopter accident and there were no survivors. And I just, I repeated exactly what the sheriff had said to me, you know, cause I hadn't processed, I hadn't processed this yet. And my stepdad, he said these words and, and I'm sure that you guys can relate to this, but he said, Ashley, did you just say Wyatt is dead? And that word, the word dead, just hit me like a ton of bricks and it made it so real. It wasn't real up to that point, but it, 
And, and I think this is really important too. I think sometimes we use words like pass away and, and passed on. And we really shy away from words like dead and, and death, but that's what really makes it real. And, and, and I've learned that as I've, as, you know, as, as I've been a little bit removed from it, how important it is to actually use the right words so that you can process the grief. And so the second that he said, did you just say why it is dead? I just said, yes. And I broke down and I, I couldn't even function because why it was he, he died. And so my mom got on the phone and she said, I, I will catch the first flight out to South Carolina. And so I ended up spend, you know, going over to, um, a woman's house that I knew and spent the day there. And the news started reporting it incorrectly and they were reporting it in a way that didn't put my husband in good light. The student and the wife just months before this had just adopted a baby and um, both of them had passed away. And so the, the news was, this husband and wife, they just adopted a baby and this pilot made mistakes and, and he's the reason why this baby doesn't have parents anymore. It was actually really hurtful and harmful. And so I ended up having a friend um, and I wasn't even like really close to this friend, but he had a contact at the news station who contacted the news station and got really upset and said, you have to realize there is another there is another person here who passed away and he has a family that's watching this news and, and watching this. And, and you have to be really careful how you report stories like this, because yes, it's this big story that this couple had just adopted this baby, but then there's also this other person who died who has a widow now. And so my eyes were opened a lot and I, you know, again, I have a lot of compassion. So what happened with Kobe Bryant's helicopter is essentially what happened with my husband. So it was bad weather. It was really foggy and my husband was instrument rated, meaning that he could um, fly a helicopter using instruments, even if the weather is bad. But what happens sometimes with pilots is while they're flying um, in the fog, they can get really disoriented. It's, it's actually a condition that happens to pilots. And so if they're not really well-trained in instruments, my husband had just got his instrument rating two weeks before this, two weeks. And so he wasn't really well-versed in, in, in instrument rating. And so he got what they think happened. They don't really know, but what they believe happened is that he somehow was disoriented because he was flying through the fog and he ended up thinking he was flying straight when he was flying straight down. And that's, that's one theory. Another theory is that because his student could actually fly helicopters, they, one theory is that they were actually switching off being pilots and that my husband may have been asleep while the student was flying. What I found out afterward um, was the student's wife who said her grandmother was dying, what actually was happening is the grandmother had already died. And the wife found out that there was a cousin who was driving up to get a ring that was an heirloom of the grandmother's. And the wife really wanted this ring that was an heirloom. And so she said to her husband, 
contact Wyatt, see if we can fly a helicopter down there as soon as possible so we can get down there before my cousin so we can get the ring. And, that, and, and that's actually why they were going down there. My husband never knew that. When you found that out, explain, like, how did you feel? I would be so mad. I'm mad right now. Well, I was really angry. And, and, and you know what's interesting is the way we found this out is the family actually sued the helicopter um, school. So they sued the school that allowed Wyatt to take the helicopter. And, um, you know, I wasn't ever involved in any kind of lawsuit or anything. They were actually going to sue Wyatt's estate until they found out we had nothing. I mean, we just, we had nothing. And so they were going to sue essentially me for wrongful death. Um, but they ended up suing the helicopter school. And it was during the discovery of this lawsuit that we found out that that Wyatt thought the grandmother had already died. She's going down to get a and the reason why is we found out is because they were claiming five hundred dollars in cash was lost because she had five hundred dollars in cash in her pocket. Because if she got there after her cousin, she was going to offer to pay the cousin five hundred dollars for the ring. So part of their damages was this five hundred dollars in cash that was in her pocket that she was taking down there so she could possibly buy the ring from the cousin if she needed to. And so, so I was already angry that they were going to try and come after me for a wrongful death lawsuit. We had, we had nothing. I mean, I was, I was a 22 year old girl. We had debt. I mean, that's what we had. <laughs> they could have had that. Take my debt. <laughs> you may have exactly. all of it. <laughs> and so, yeah, the family ended up suing the helicopter school. The insurance company settled with the family and it ended up that the helicopter school went out of business after that due to this accident. Um, the, the husband and the wife, I ended up finding out they, because they had adopted this baby and it had only been a couple months, the baby had to be put up for adoption again. So that's, that's how it worked at the time in South Carolina. And, um, I played gigs. I I'm a musician. I was a musician at the time. And I played a gig about six months later and this woman came up to me and she, I was playing, I was opening for this guy that I knew and she came up to me and she said, Hey, I am cousins with this guy that I knew that I was opening for. And she said, I just want you to know I adopted the louder milks baby. And so she's like, I just, I just wanted to let you know, like he's, He's doing well. He's in our family. We love him very much. And, you know, I just, I realized there was some good that could come out of that. And it helped me not be angry. How long did you stay in South Carolina after Wyatt died? So I stayed in South Carolina for seven months. And that's actually an interesting story, too, because I, I did not deal with grief very well for that first seven months at all. And, you know, I went through the denial phase for a while and, um, and I, I ended up because I was playing in bars. Um, I, I started drinking and I started hanging out with, uh, musicians who were making choices that were not good for me, but it was a way for me to kind of drown my grief. And, and it was a way for me to not sit with my grief so I could go and I could play bars and I would play from nine 
at night until one or two in the morning. And then I would go home. I would sleep for, you know, two or three hours because I, I couldn't sleep for, I couldn't sleep well. And I would wake up and I would go to my day job. And then at night I would go and I would play these bars. And I realized that I was on this path that was, that was going to lead to me. It was, it was going to lead to destruction for me and for my soul. This was in 2004. So now it's, it's been 16 years this June. So it's been quite a while and I'm, you know, and we can talk about what's gone on with my life since then, but this was 16 years ago. And, um, in December, I had a very, very, um, it was, it was a spiritual experience for me that I determined I needed to move back to Utah. And it wasn't really that I determined it. I felt like I was being led spiritually to move back to Utah and to pursue something else. I had not gone to college up to this point and um, I didn't really have a direction. I'd, my direction was why I wanted to be a rock star. And Mel, I know you can totally understand this, <laughs> so, but that's what I wanted to do with my life. Um, something interesting that happened right before he died, it was May of 2004, I had this random person at work come up to me and he said, I know this is really weird, but I'm gonna give you this card for this life insurance agent. A week later, we go and we meet with this life insurance agent and we, we buy this horrible life insurance policy. They don't even have these kinds of life insurance policies anymore, but it was one where we put in $50 and like $50 a month and you don't, it's not even like a, it wasn't like a million dollar life insurance policy or a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy. It depended on how much you put into it. And when you, when you took it out, if you ever took it out, it was it's a horrible policy. They don't even have them anymore. So a month later, Wyatt, Wyatt dies. And I, we had about $25,000 in consumer debt um, including like a car and then just credit card debt and, and other meaningless debt. And I ended up getting about $35,000 in life insurance money. So I was able to pay off all that debt and then have like an extra $10,000 to pay for the funeral and the headstone and then have a little bit extra. And I decided I was going to go to college with that money. And because at this time I was 22, I had no plans of going to college, but when your spouse dies and all of a sudden you have this wake up call that, Oh, like they're like, I need to provide for myself. Now I had an opportunity to get an education and to do something. Um, being a rock star was, would be fun. And I knew that I could still continue to pursue that, but that it was probably important for me to go and get an education. So I decided to move back to Utah where I could go to college here and I had a little bit of extra money that I could pay for college that way. I have two quick questions. How old was Wyatt when he died? Yeah, he, well, actually he was four years older than me. So he was 26. Mm -hmm. He was 26 years old. So he was an old man compared to you. Totally old. 26 when he died. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then did you choose to have him um, cremated or buried? And if you buried him, did you bury him in South Carolina or where did, what did you do about that? Yeah. So it was interesting because we had built this life in South Carolina. And so we, because we had so many friends and people that we considered family in South Carolina. And so we actually had a memorial service in South Carolina and there were like 400 people at his memorial service. It was amazing. But his family was in Utah 
and he hiked Mount Tipanogos all the time. And his mom had her second husband actually passed away and she had bought a family plot in the Orange City Center, Utah, that was right below Mount Tipanogos. And so she actually already had a plot there. She asked if he could be buried in the plot to his his stepdad, who he considered to be his dad until he passed away, until he died. And so we decided to come back um, to have his funeral and his burial here in Utah. So we did that. And I was here for about three weeks during that time. And then I went back to South Carolina. And I honestly, I planned on staying in South Carolina. I never had any intention of moving back to Utah until I had this experience where I felt like Utah was where I needed to go. And interestingly enough, so it had been seven months and, and I had been going down this, this path that wasn't a good path for me. The day that I moved back to Utah, I went and I hung out with my best friend um, from high school. It was, he's, it was a guy and he was my, he was my best friend from high school. I went over to his house and his roommate was a guy that I had already, like, I kind of knew I had met him before and we had actually gone on one date before I married Wyatt and his name was McLean. And we hung out that night and I ended up marrying McLean. Whoa. You just threw that in there. I wasn't prepared for it. I know. (laughs) Now I will say it was two years after that. So I moved back to Utah. I didn't marry McLean for two years because we dated for two years. So what was it like for you emotionally being a young widow and then moving back to Utah and then starting to date? Did you feel conflicted? Like that's the part that like boggles my mind and I can't even yes. go there. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was really tough. And, and I will say people, people can be really awful. I, I, I mean, and, and maybe you have experienced this and I'm sure a lot of your listen, listeners have experienced this. People can be really awful. And so, you know, in South Carolina, I had, I had been asked out on a couple dates and I, and I had gone on a couple dates, but it just, it just was weird and, and it was never the right, it never felt right. And, but when I moved to Utah, nobody really knew Wyatt and me as a couple because we got married in South Carolina and, and that's where, that's where we had lived for four years. And so, um, I moved back to Utah and people just saw me as a young 22 year old. And it wasn't unless I told them or unless they knew who I was, like, unless they actually really knew me, um, they didn't know. And so, so I did start dating and, and I did start dating McLean, but I was dating other people. You know, I would get asked out on dates and I would go on dates with other people as well. But I found out people said some really horrible things about me. And I, I remember one guy, he asked me out on a date. I'd gone to high school with him and he actually like a, a boyfriend high school. And he asked me out on a date and I just said, no, I, I just don't think that we're a good fit and, and I'm not really interested. And I think in retaliation or, you know, and, and I'm sure there was some truth to what he said, but he said, everyone says that you don't even miss your husband because you're out dating and you're out just having a great time and you don't even miss him. And they're right. And I mean, he just was, and that was the, one of the nicer things that he said to me. And, and I had some people say things like that pretty frequently where they were like, do you even miss Wyatt? You're just out here dating and having a, t- a good time. And that, that wasn't really 
the case, of course I missed him. He was my husband. And, and I had to walk this fine line of, do I mention the fact that I had this husband? Like, so people would say, oh, you lived in South Carolina. Why were you in South Carolina? Well, I was married to a guy that was a helicopter pilot. Oh, you were married? But I didn't want people to think I was divorced. So then it rolled into the story. Well, yeah, so then he died. And, you know, it became this really awkward conversation because I was, I was really young. I was 22, 23, 24 years old. And, um, yeah, people were not kind about the fact that, that I was dating, but as a 22, 23, 24 year old in college, that's, that's what you do. It felt, it felt like the normal thing to do, but it was, it was really hard because there was a lot of conflict there. There was a lot of conflict in deciding to get married again, which is why McLean and I ended up dating for about two years because there were some big decisions that we had to make. Um, and I think it was hard for McLean because he was this young 23, 24 year old guy. He had never been married before. And, and frankly, he was a virgin and I wasn't. And that was, I think, a little bit intimidating for him. There were just some things that he had to work out and some things that, that we had to work out together, which is why it took two years for me to decide to get married. Well, I just want to say that that one guy who was a total jerkwad, you're like, point proven. I have no interest in yes. you. You're a dirtbag. That makes me angry. Yeah, it's, you know, people people are funny. They They want you to mourn and grieve forever. And the thing is, you don't really get over it. It's not something that you, I, we're 16 years down the road from this experience and I still love Wyatt and I still think about him all the time. And he's still a huge part of my life. And that aspect of my life will always be a big part of my life. It's not something you get over, but you can't be expected to just grieve and be a grieving widow your whole life. And I think that was the big thing for me is I all of a sudden realized how short life was. Wyatt died at 26 and, and I was 22 and I'm like, man, like what if I only have four more years? Like, like really, what if, what if that's all I really have? Because when, and, and you know this, when some, when your spouse dies, when like you, you all of a sudden look at all of these things that, that you can do with your life because you realize how short it really can be. It, it's suddenly a reality that these things can happen to us. And so for me, I had this drive and this urge to just live my life and do absolutely everything I could. So I went and I got an education. I went to college and I decided to be a rock star and I was, and I joined a bunch of bands and I toured. I was a touring musician for um, almost 15 years. And then I decided to go to law school and I would have never, I, I would have never made those decisions. Um, I think it kind of got rid of a lot of fear that I had in my life of, you know, just fear of rejection, fear of failure, because all of a sudden you realize, man, life is really short and it can be shorter than we anticipate. So I've got to fit in everything that I can as soon as possible. And and so I like that was that was kind of the big revelation for me was, you know, I don't care what people say about me. Like I, I and that and I and I used to I used to care a lot about what people thought about me and what people said. 
But, and it was that moment when he said, everyone says that you don't miss your husband. All of a sudden I was like, you don't even know me. You have no idea what I'm going through. You don't know my experience. So why do I even care what you think or say about me? And, and it was that moment that I just kind of stopped taking everything personally because nobody knew what I was going through. Nobody could really understand. Even someone who had lost their husband, we all go through it differently. And so I just realized at that moment, I was going to stop caring what people thought about me. And I was just going to go for everything that I wanted to go for. I was going to go for it. I think it's so interesting that, I mean, people go to therapy and there's so many books written on how to not care as much and how to get out of your own way. And isn't it so interesting that something like being a young widow or a death or something else kind of forces you into that? But it so in some ways, like some people would fossilize you in amber, I guess. But in other ways, the grief and the heartbreak is what sets you free so that you can ultimately like just live your life or not care about what other people think. That is exactly right. You know, people, people will still say, and again, we're 16 years down the road, people will still see me and, and they'll give me this and everyone knows that's listening to this knows what I'm talking about. How are <laughs> you? You know, this, like this pitiful look. And it's like, you know what? I, I really, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. And so I, I think that's really true. I think you have to make a decision. Like, am I going to let this define me or am I going to use it? Totally. And um, when you were talking about being 22 and being a widow, I was 23 and divorced in Utah. So I totally get not fitting in. Like, that was a super weird thing. People didn't know how to react to that. But I can't imagine being a 23-year-old or 22-year-old widow having, like, how I'm sure that people just don't have the vocabulary to deal with that or the experience like even I was a I was widowed at 35 and it was eye-opening to me like just even for myself learning the ins and outs of of widowhood and everything like I was learning a lot like and a lot of people around me hadn't dealt with that experience and so it's just a huge learning curve and being 22 is oh my gosh I can't even imagine (laughs) what you had to go through holy cow It's hard. And I think part of being a young widow, like when you're, when you're that young, people don't see you as a widow. And so you don't get the same, like you don't necessarily get the same support that like maybe someone that maybe a little bit older with kids or, or, you know, or an older woman, you don't get the same, same support as a widow because you might start dating again, or like you might have like I'm 22, my life can't be put on hold. And I didn't have children. We didn't have children. And so I had to do something. And, and so it was really hard because people don't see you as a widow. And so you don't have the same kind of support group. And so I, like, I would say like, especially for your listeners and, and for you, like young, these young widows, I think that's, it's a tough place to be because you don't feel like you have the same support system that maybe like someone with kids or someone that might be a little bit older might have, because I still, I'm still going to college and I still have a job and I'm, and I am living my life, but there's this huge part of my life and I don't have anywhere to turn that I can really find some support. Yeah. That was my experience. Um, like our neighborhood basically abandoned me and I didn't have any kids. So, you know, and I can, 
I guess I can see, knowing everybody's mentality and lack of experience with the Young Widow, I totally can see why that happened. So that's kind of like my mission to change that, you know. But yeah, it's just you don't fit in. I actually didn't even realize I was a widow until somebody posted something online and they were collecting memories of Scott for Scott's widow, Mel. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh, I'm a widow. Because I also thought of a widow as like my grandma or something like that. It's so weird. Yeah, it is. It is weird. It's just blowing my mind right now to think that we're near the same age and that you've been doing this for 16 years. Like, I just, it's hard to even wrap my head around it. It, I think it would be a completely different game 16 years ago than it would be today for me. So it's, it's pretty crazy to think about being 22 and doing all of this. Yeah, well, and, and it was a different time too. Like Facebook didn't exist, like GoFundMe didn't exist. You know, like that. We needed a good GoFundMe. Let's start one now. 16 years late. <laughs> Time was. <laughs> 16 years ago. Yeah, it's, I mean, that kind of stuff didn't exist. And so the word didn't spread quite as fast. And so it made for a lot of really awkward moments, especially when I moved back to Utah. And, you know, because people just didn't know. It was definitely a different time, but it has, you know, I have enough distance now I can, I still have compassion, but I can also see the growth that has occurred from that experience. And, and I can say that while I, you know, I love Wyatt and never wish this upon anyone, that there was a lot of growth and development and there were blessings that came from the experience. Yeah. It's like, I like to explain it like, it increases your capacity for whatever. Like you have this big capacity for sadness and like you reach depths that you've not reached before, but then you also have a capacity going the other way for love and understanding and empathy. And so it's like, can you get that understanding and empathy without going through that really horrible thing? We should find a way because that'd be better, don't you think? It would, but I will say, like, I swear it really has increased, it has increased, like, my compassion and empathy, but it also, it also led to, like, what I'm doing now. So I'm a lawyer now, and I, I didn't go to law school until I was, I was 32 when I went to law school, and so I, I came back, um, you know, and I had, I had witnessed this issue with this lawsuit, um, this family suing the helicopter school, and that really fascinated me. But what, what fascinated me more about death and dealing with death is the, the lack of preparedness in most everybody. That when I had to go to the funeral home, and I'm sure, I'm sure you guys experienced this too, but I, I had to go to the funeral home. And, and I never got to see Wyatt's body. It wasn't in a I, we didn't have an open casket funeral. It was a closed casket funeral. He, it was a helicopter crash. So, you know, I'm sure you can imagine, but I had to go to the helicopter. I had to go to the funeral home and I had to pick out a casket and I had to pick out who was going to speak and I had to pick out songs and, and then we had to decide what to do with his stuff. And it all, it made me realize even at a young age, even now you need to talk about what you, if you have 
because I'm like, I don't know what kind of casket. I don't, I don't know. Like, what would he want? I don't know. Part of my practice is estate planning. I do estate and business planning, asset planning. And because it's so easy now for me to talk about that. It's like, I'm not uncomfortable at all talking about death and dying at all. And so I feel like I've been able to help people and say, Hey, based on my experience, here are the things that you're probably going to want to know. And, and so let's like, in, in addition to like a will and a trust and, and all of that stuff, let's talk about what you actually want. Like, what do you want to happen to your body? Like, do you want to be cremated? Do you want to donate? I have told my husband, I said, I, I want my body donated to, to the university of Utah. And, and that might be unconventional, but that's what I want. And so, um, like, I think it's really important to talk about that kind of stuff. And you know what, if, if that's not what your family wants, your family can decide something else, but at least they know, at least they know what you want, because it's really hard as the person who's left standing there making all the decisions, trying to figure out what it is that you would want that, you know, someone would want. And I'm sure like everyone who's listening to this has gone through that experience, but, but I think that gives us the capacity to help teach other people, Hey, these are the things that you need to talk about. And so I actually really love estate planning and helping people with their estate planning and asset planning. I have an estate planning question. Yeah. So in, in your experience with your current practice, have you met with very many young people? Young meaning like not 80 or 70. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I think it's because they know what I've gone through. And, and so like on social media, I'll like, I, you know, I post my experience a lot and I say, listen, like you've got to be prepared no matter what age, the fact that Wyatt and I got life insurance a month before he died blows my mind. Like we were 22 years old. And honestly, that was just a blessing. It was just a blessing that that happened. And so I'm, so I am constantly telling people, no matter how old you are, you've got to do some kind of estate planning, especially like I go to probate court and I saw a situation where the mom and dad were young. They were in their twenties and they both were in a car accident and they both died in the car accident and they didn't have a guardian for their, they had a baby, like a one-year-old baby and they didn't have a guardian for this baby. And, and the baby was so well loved that the families were fighting over the baby. So I see it happen. So yeah, I actually been able to talk a lot of young people into come doing their estate planning. That's awesome. For our listeners that don't know what probate is, can you explain that a little bit? Yes. So if you don't have a will, if and well, if you if you don't have a will or a trust, um, the state that you live in is going to decide what happens to all of your assets. Now, if you do have a will you still have to go through a court and the court will look at your will and, and just make sure that everything that's in your will is being done. Now you can bypass the court, which is probate court. You can bypass probate by creating a trust. And if you create a trust, the court don't have to get involved at all. So probate is just what happens if you don't have trust, but you need to at least have something, have a will, um, I recommend a trust if you want to avoid probate, which just means the court won't even get involved at all. So moral of the story, get a trust. Yes. In most cases. Okay. It's, it's a case by case basis, but yeah. Cool. 
I think the word probate is so weird. Like it kind of reminds me of like a prostate exam. Yeah. <laughs> like the, it is kind of a weird word. So get a trust so you can you can avoid that. I don't want to have to have that. So a little while ago, Ashley, I was listening to another podcast with um, David Kessler, who is a grief guru guy. And he was talking about adding um, more steps to the stages of grief. And he actually worked with um, Kubler-Ross on the five stages of grief. Anyway, we know that we hate those. But one of the things that he was talking about adding was finding meaning in grief and when I heard that I kind of latched onto it because I was like oh I like that idea it just seemed kind of positive at the time at a time where nothing was positive and um just sec okay but I can't get you watermelon right now so take it back in the kitchen and I'll help you in a few minutes um, one of the things he also said, though, is that people try to find meaning several months out, and that's not the time to find meaning, that you need time to really help you figure out what the meaning is going to be in the grief that you've gone through. And so I wonder, I mean, I would assume that 16 years out is long enough, but I wonder if you can look back and kind of see when you are able to start making meaning of what was happening to you and when you were able to kind of look for the things you were learning or making the meaning. Does that make sense? The question? Yes. Oh, I think that's so important. And I, I do, I, I hate that the five stages of grief and, and I think that's a really important part of it. And I would say, honestly, like I would like to say it was really soon. It was probably about 10 years for me. Wow. And, and I, I mean, we, it was about 10 years and part of it was because I jumped I, you know, I jumped into my second relationship about seven months after, but then we dated for two years. And so I was really focused on that. And, and again, I was young. I was, you know, you're 22. That's so young. I feel like our brains are still developing and I mean, 20 is so young to get married. And so I got married was, when I was 19. Just yeah, FYI. So, you, <laughs> so yeah, so, you know, and, and so I think it was about it was about 10 years after, because at that point I had had children with my second husband and I, you know, 10 years to process, um, every year on the anniversary of his death, I would feel this anxiety. Like I, I would feel that anxiety every single June 27th for 10 years. And it was, it wasn't until about 10 after 10 years that I could stop feeling the heaviness and start exploring the meaning. And that's when that exact when I decided to go to law school specifically because I realized I can talk about death and dying really easily with people. And I can do it in a way that doesn't like, it doesn't make people feel uncomfortable. And I really love to help people plan. And, and so that's when I really attached meaning to it saying, okay, I, I could become a lawyer and I could do estate planning and I could help people plan for this because I've been through it. Like, and, and I would, I would say that's when, cause I was 32 when I went back to law school and it was 
I, I felt specifically led, specifically led to go back to law school and specifically led to study estate planning. And, and these experiences kept coming up for me where I would talk to people about death and dying. And it, it was something that was very comfortable for me. It was something I had compassion for other people who were going for through it. And I, there was a lady in my neighborhood and her husband, um, and he had a back issue and he was self-medicating using like the gas. And one night he was self-medicating and he fell asleep and he ended up uh, overdosing on this medication and he ended up dying. And um, there was a lot of judgment passed after the death because everyone wants to look at your life under a microscope and look at how you're behaving and how you're reacting to things. And they want, and, and I think the tendency is to judge. And I remember talking to a group of women who were close to this woman. And I said, you cannot judge. You have no idea what, what she's going through and, and you can't judge her situation. And I, it helped me realize like, I have a lot of compassion for people who are going through something like this. I, I do not judge anyone's experience because I had a lot of people judge mine. I didn't write thank you notes to like half the people I should have written thank you notes to. And I, like, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I literally could not physically bring myself to do it. And there were people who were so offended and they were so offended by things I said, were so offended by things I did. And, and I just didn't have the physical capacity to write half of these thank you notes. And it helped. And so it wasn't until, I, mean, I it was about 10 years later where I started looking at other people who were going through this experience and I would watch, it was like I was watching from the outside and I was seeing this group of people judging this person and I was able to go and talk to them and say, listen, you have no idea what she's going through. You can't be offended by the things she says. You can't be offended by the things she does. And then I was able to go to this person and I said, don't worry about what people say. Yeah. It's just such, it's such a learning curve for everybody. Right. I mean, and this is what 2004 is when, right. Is that when this happened? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, there was no Facebook and no social media. And I feel like since that time, mental health has really been given a big push and people are more aware of other people's situations or what's going through their heads. Um, and so in some ways, maybe it's a little bit better just because there's more awareness now. Because, um, yeah, I remember those years, the 2000s. Um, yes. And it's true. It was a, it was a, things like that that were not part of like the status quo or kind of taboo or easily judged so I'm glad that you have been able to help people with that I have some questions about um about what it's like to have a family with not your first husband if you are willing to talk about that like emotionally how how have you handled that or what have you come up across or has it been hard sometimes and tell me about it yeah. And yeah, it's interesting. So, um, you know, I have two boys, so I, I have an 11 year old and a six year old now and with my second husband and they know about Wyatt and they, they ask about Wyatt. So I'm very open about it with my kids. Now I will say the 
struggle that I have come across is with my current husband who is amazing and he's been amazing through this whole thing, but I'm sure you can imagine coming into that situation, coming in and marrying somebody who has already been married and their husband died. It's not a divorce. Um, that's a tough situation. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's some comparison there like in his mind, even though that's, that's not even the case, it's apples and oranges, but it is interesting sometimes when people, every once in a while, when somebody brings up Wyatt, I feel the discomfort in my current husband. And when my kids, when my kids bring up Wyatt, my husband gets very uncomfortable. And in fact, one time, you know, it's six-year-olds, they say silly, silly things. They don't know what they're saying half the time. And one time my six-year-old said, Wyatt was almost my dad or Wyatt could have been my dad. That's really hard for my husband. I mean, he gets, he, he really gets defensive and understandably, you know, and, and so it, there is a little bit of discomfort there um, because I'm really open about it. And my husband is a lot more private than I am. When Wyatt is brought up, it can cause some discomfort still. Now it's not, it's not anything we ever fight about. It's not even really anything we ever really discuss because my current husband knows like we're, we're married and we have kids together and we're a family, but there is, there is always this, this looming situation of the fact that I was married before I loved this man. He was a great man. My kids know about him. Um, and so it's something I think more that my husband now has had to navigate more than I have had to navigate. Now I will say when I was first married, I would call my second husband by my first husband's name. Ooh. Like, yeah. And, and my family did it too. And in fact, we like, there was one time where like my stepdad was praying about like, it was praying or he was like saying a prayer over the food and and he said, and we're thankful to have Ashley and Wyatt here, but it was McLean, my second husband. It, you know, and that has, that happened. I would say it happened fairly frequently in the first couple years in the first, you know, two or three years, those moments of discomfort are few and far between now, but those first few years were tough. And I, I found myself making comparisons, um, so many comparisons in the first few years of marriage to my second husband. Now I never discussed that with him and it was something that I had to get through um, and something I had to work through. And I, and I went to therapy and thank goodness for therapy. Like, thank goodness. And it's like you said, in the early two thousands, not a lot of people were going to therapy. Now I think everyone should go to therapy. I don't care what you've been through. Everyone should go to therapy at some point in their lives, but it was really helpful for me. And I'm so thankful that I did that because I was able, I was able to work through that. And especially the comparisons that I would make. And, um, you know, I just don't make those comparisons anymore. I've been married 13 years to my husband now. That's so we're a family. And I, I think that that, that it has changed. Our relationship has changed over the years and, and why it is, he's someone that I loved and he was someone that I married to. And, and he's someone in my, it's part of my past and it's part of who I am. I have another question, mm-hmm. but first I need to get rid of a child. Hey, you got to go away. <laughs> go, go out. <laughs> okay. Ashley. Yes. This whole topic is so intriguing to me. When you were dating McLean, 
Did you discuss how you were going to deal with Wyatt? For instance, did you talk about pictures, um, about whether those would be in your house? Did you talk about whether he would be an open book subject? I mean, did you just have discussions about that in the dating um, process? Or did you just kind of like treat it like it wasn't happening? I would think that you would need to just kind of like hammer out some of those things beforehand. Did you do that? Yes. I will say our biggest fight, the biggest fight we got in while we were dating. In fact, we broke up. And so we had been dating... We've been dating about six. Now, when I say, because we, we dated, but I was also dating some other people. Oh, I see so, how you were. Yeah, that's, you know. <laughs> uh, here's me judging you now. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. And so I would say about six months after we were pretty serious, um, he, because I told you, like, I was living in Utah. I had lived in South Carolina. So I would meet a lot of people and. And they would somehow find out I lived in South Carolina and it would turn into this story and I would end up having to tell them that I had a husband who passed away. And you know, that's just, it's just something that just comes up frequently. And, and I had, we had been dating about six months seriously and my husband who was young at the time. And he honestly, he would be so embarrassed to like, he, I, I think he's embarrassed that this happened, but I think it's an important part of our story. And so about six months after he said, I, I really need to talk to you about something. We hadn't really talked about it a lot at this point because I hadn't really decided if like we hadn't about marriage. He said, it kind of bugs me that you tell everybody that you had a husband that died. And I got so angry. I got, I was really angry and I don't know why. Like I look back and I'm like, why was I so angry about it? Like, was I defensive? And but I, I got so angry and, and it, it really didn't turn into a conversation more. It was more so me just getting angry. And I just, I said, if you can't handle that, like we can't be together because this is my life. It literally happened a year ago. I mean, cause at this point it had been about a year, you know, a little over a year. And I said, I am only a year out from this. We're not married. We haven't talked about getting married. This is a huge part of my life. If you can't deal, like we can't be together because this is a part of my life. And if you're going to be part of it, you're going to hear me talk about it a lot because it's a huge part of who I am and what I've been through. And I said, so if, if you're insecure about it, then bye, bye. <laughs> and so I got pretty mad and we ended up breaking up and the next day he came and he apologized and he's like, you're right. It is about being insecure and it's just something I'm just going to have to learn to work through. I just need you to be patient with me and we're going to have to work through it. So after that, after that incident, incident, we ended up talking about a lot. And so we talked about pictures. Like once we decided, Hey, like this is getting pretty serious and we might get married. So we need to decide how that's going to work. And Um, and you know, and, and there were some things, um, there were some things about our religion that we needed to work out just because we were both members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so there were some things, um, about our marriage that we needed to work out that way. So one of the things that just boggles my mind is how somebody can willingly enter into a relationship with somebody 
who is still in love with somebody else. And you alluded to this. With a divorce, you're done with that relationship, right? Like, even if maybe you have some regrets, there's still a closure. Like, we are done as a couple. When somebody dies, you're like, I want them back. If I could have them back, I want them back. Usually, I will say. Um, So I do not, I cannot understand how somebody willingly is like, yes, I will be in love with you even though you're still in love with somebody else. How? Well, and... You know, I, I talked to, I've talked to my husband about that a lot and that was our struggle and it's why we dated for two years. And I think you just have to, what I knew about him was that he loved, he had to love so much to be able to put up with that. And I think it's just, you love someone so much and you're willing to sacrifice that. You're willing to sacrifice a little bit of their heart that belongs to somebody else. And that made me respect him and love him so much more that it's like, dude, you can put up with a lot because I do talk about Wyatt a lot and you, I do still love him, but he was really, he was really open with, and we became really good communicator. Like we have a really good relationship, really. We have a better relationship because my first husband and I did not communicate well. Like we were young, we were young and we were dumb and we weren't good communicators. And because of that, I became a better communicator with my second husband. There was a lot about my first marriage. Like, like I remember, and, and I hope this is okay to say, but I remember I would tell people, oh man, you need to have more sex. We don't talk about sex on this podcast. I miss, actually we never have. (laughs) I miss like, and you're like, you're going to miss when that person's gone, you're really going to miss sex. And I'm like, man, like I should have had more sex with him. And, <laughs> and so, and I hope that's okay to say, but it really is true. Like I, and, and so with my second marriage, like I've totally changed my mindset around like being intimate and, and sex. And so like my husband doesn't have to worry about that at all. Maybe that's why he's willing to put up with your loving two people. I've heard, I've heard people say, and you can tell me if you think that this is true, that it's just like when you have one baby and you think there's no way you can love another child like that. Your brain is just like, no, the next one, if we have another one, we'll be second best. And then you have two babies and you're like, oh my gosh, I love both of these things, even though they're destroying my life. And then you have three and you're like, oh, I love, you know, and you can't think, you can't figure it out until you actually experience it. Is that, do you think that would be a reasonable comparison? I think that is exactly how it is. And like, we just have such a huge capacity to love. Now, granted, some days I have a favorite. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and there, like, there were sometimes like, you know, in the beginning of the marriage where I was like, oh, why it would never do that. You, you know, and I had to, I would have to say, okay, like, it's not about, it doesn't really matter what Wyatt would do or not do, why it's not here. Right now I have this relationship and I have to work on, if I want this relationship to work, I have to work on this relationship. And I can't, I can't compare McLean to someone who's not even here on this earth anymore. That's not fair. It's not fair to McLean. So because, because we tend to put the person who died on a pedestal. I, I don't know, just the thought of being asked to take down pictures like just thinking about it where I am in my journey, that's heartbreaking for me. I don't know if I could make that negotiation at this point. 
I don't know how I can't see it right now. Yeah. Well, and I think it's different for you. You have pictures of your family. I think if you were asked that same question, if you were asked to do the same thing, I think that would be a different situation. And so I don't think you can really compare that because you have kids that if, if you had to take down pictures, you'd be taking pictures down of your kid's dad. That's a different situation. That's interesting too, though. I've heard of a lot of like widows and widowers getting married. And I think that that balances to a certain extent. I just hit my microphone, so that's going to be really loud. Um, it balances to a certain extent, you know, um, because you both have somebody that you love. But when it's one person who is a widow yeah. with somebody who hasn't had that, then it's not balanced so I, I can understand widows and widowers getting married. It it makes sense in my brain more than, you know, what uh, our friend, what did he call them? Muggles. What the muggles wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do. <laughs> Ashley, this was so great to have you. So thank you for being here. I feel like you are so full of information. And I know that I've had a lot of questions answered. And Ashley has agreed to be on the podcast again on a future date. So any of you listeners that have questions, please email us at widowwedonow at gmail.com for any questions you might have for her since she's been further in this journey than most of us, 16 years, plus has started a family with not her dead husband. (laughs) There's a lot of of things that she can answer. Well, and specifically, if you have – we're going to have Ashley talk about um, some of the estate planning stuff that is especially pertinent for widows and widowers about what things you need to get in order um, for your life now. So those are also questions that you might want to send to us so we can ask Ashley about those. Um, Don't forget about our Facebook group. We've been um, adding members here and there. If you go to Facebook and search Widow We Do Now, Widow Wives Club, and make sure you answer the questions. We've had several people who are applying to get in, but we're not going to approve you if you don't answer the questions because we don't know if you're a psychopath or not. Do we want them to be psychopaths? So that's the question. Okay, sociopath versus psychopath. I don't know. But answer the questions. Aren't we all sociopaths? <laughs> yes, I know. I that's why I was like, maybe I shouldn't this. say that. But um, but just answer the questions or we're not going to accept your request. And also remember to give us a review and a rating on iTunes and leave what country you're from if you're interested in a clarinet solo of your national anthem. By Anita. Thanks for joining us. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Ashley. And we're two widows. Well, actually, we're three widows and a lady who got remarried. Just trying to figure out. Widow. widow. We, we do, do now. now. Delay, delay. I love it. <laughs> this is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what well, is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled 
all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.